ability to contain the impact of a default, uh, given that there are so many banks and so many financial institutions that are providing um, uh, financing to Evergrande, um, whether the government can step in to provide some sort of level of surety. Um, these are the things that, yeah, it, it, it's certainly a potential to have a contagion impact. Um, and that's why, of course, you've seen in, in Hong Kong stocks and China stocks being impacted. Uh, there are other factors uh, associated with that. But, yeah, market's watching it for sure. Um, it's in the news. Thanks very much, Toby. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this week. In Australia, the SX200 slipping further into the red, down 0.6% now. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is up about a third of a percent. Our futures market's indicating a flat open for the Hang Seng later this morning. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil slipping just a little at $75.63 a barrel. Gold is up slightly at $1,755 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do have a great weekend. Join me again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Please stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gordon and Danny Gittings in just a moment. The weather forecast for today. Sunny periods and a few showers. Very hot during the day. Maximum temperature will be around 33 degrees. There is a very hot weather warning in force right now. And it's going to be hot with sunny periods and isolated showers in the next couple of days. The temperature right now, 28 degrees. 80% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. European Union's foreign policy chief, Josep Borrell, has expressed the bloc's displeasure at not being consulted over a new nuclear security deal announced between the US, Australia and Britain. It will enable Australia to build nuclear-powered submarines using technology provided by the US. Speaking at an event to lay out Brussels' own strategy for the Indo-Pacific, Mr Borrell said the incident served as a wake-up call to Europeans. This alliance, we've only just been made aware of it and we weren't even consulted. As High Representative for Security Policy for the European Union, I was certainly not aware and I assume that an agreement of such a nature wasn't cooked up overnight. Such things take time. The UN Secretary-General has said November's climate summit in Glasgow must be the turning point in humanity's fight to limit global warming. Antonio Guterres was alarmed how far off course the world currently was. If temperature rises were to be limited to just 1.5%, he said there had to be immediate cuts in emissions on a huge scale. We really are out of time. We must act now to prevent further irreversible damage. COP26 this November must mark that turning point. By then, we need all countries to commit to achieve net zero emissions by the middle of this century and to present clear, credible, long-term strategies to get there. An independent investigation has concluded that former senior uh, leaders at the World Bank encouraged staff to alter a report to boost China's ranking as a business-friendly country. The U.S. law firm, Wilma Hale, says in 2017, the bank's then-chief executive, Kristalina Georgieva, and members of the then-president's cabinet had told employees to use a methodology that would improve China's standing. At the time, the bank was lobbying for more money from Beijing. Ms. Georgieva disputes the findings. Locally, the alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China removed all content from its online platforms last night after a demand from National Security Police. Violet Wong has the details. Minutes after 10 o'clock, searches for the alliance pages on several social media sites found no results or produced broken links. 
His website carried only a message saying, "The authors have deleted the site." The alliance noted earlier that it doesn't own or operate the June 4th online museum, which remains available. The alliance, which previously organized the annual June 4th vigil, said in a statement that on Friday last week, police ordered the removals within a week, citing national security rules. The alliance says it will instead start a new Facebook page to disseminate information. The group is facing a charge of inciting subversion of state power, as of three of its leaders or former leaders, Li Chekyan, Albert Ho, and Chao Hang Tong. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould, and your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Jim. On today's Back Chat,、uh, COVID-19 jabs for teenagers and the election committee subsector elections. Expert advisers to the government have changed their guidance on Hong Kong teenagers getting vaccinated against COVID-19, saying they need only one BioNTech jab instead of two. The change comes after more than 30 young people experienced inflammation of the heart as a suspected side effect of the injection since those aged between 12 and 17 began receiving the shots in June, and it means that more secondary schools will be able to resume full-day classes when 70% of Their students have received a single dose of the vaccine. After 9:15, we're looking ahead to the election committee subsector elections, which will take place this Sunday. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 88266. And this morning, for our main topic,、uh, we're joined、uh, on the line by Professor Lau Yu Long, who's、uh, chair professor of paediatrics at the Department of Paediatrics and Adolescent Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. He's also chairman of the Scientific Committee on Vaccine Preventable Disease. And also, we have with us、um, Alex Lam, who's chairman of Hong Kong Patients' Voices.、Uh, professor Lau, good morning. Let's go to you first. Hi. Good morning, Danny Jim. Okay, so this is a major change when it comes to、uh, vaccinating teenagers in Hong Kong. For months, we've been told that、um, teenagers should get vaccinated and they should have both doses, and、um, that、uh, although it was known about、uh, myocarditis in、um, overseas, we are told not really to worry about it. A lot of parents, and I declare an interest, my, my, including myself, went and got our our children vaccinated, and, and now we're told that these these kids shouldn't really be having second doses.、Right. Professor Lau. So、What I, happened is that、um, I think、uh, back in June, that is、uh, the time when the decision is made to recommend、uh, BioNTech for the 12 to 15.、Um, based on that time, the data showed、um, complication of myocarditis is rare.、Uh, however,、uh, after the last、uh, three months experience, we find out in fact the rate of myocarditis after those two. Especially in boys、uh, between 12 and 15 in Hong Kong, in fact, it's several fold、uh, higher than that initially reported、uh, in the United States and、uh, more like the Israel. Initially, when we calculated according to the CDC data, even if we vaccinate the whole cohort or、uh, adolescents, we shouldn't have more than 10 or 13 cases. But、um, after the first month or two, it is becoming clearer and clearer our rate. Uh, is higher than that reported in the United States, and in fact,、uh, over the last、um, 
couple of weeks, the uh, United States has been revising the rate of uh, myocarditis after BioNTech, especially in the 12 to 15-year-old boy uh, upwards. And now uh, I think everyone realized, of course, it is still rare, but it's not extremely rare. And that is point number one. And point number two uh, is because in Hong Kong, we have extremely good control uh, compared to, say, uh, in the United States or in certain European countries. So the risk of our young people getting infected is uh, at the moment is next to zero. And in fact, the total number of young people got infected uh, since the beginning of pandemic is um, just no more than, uh, say, 1,200. And moreover, we find out uh, those got infected in Hong Kong uh, compared to those young people uh, in, say, United States or European countries, they're, they're relatively mild. Initially, uh, we think maybe uh, we are not just getting enough uh, infected uh, young people to look uh, for uh, sort of serious complications and infections. But now, uh, with more data coming in, it seems that perhaps certain practice in Hong Kong, uh, like the universal uh, neonatal BCG vaccination, that is the vaccination against tuberculosis, might actually help us uh, to have what we call crossover protection against the COVID-19, uh, plus many other speculations, um, like perhaps uh, we we have more other human coronavirus infection because of our very packed and densely populated uh, population. And because we know a previous uh, infection with human coronavirus, in fact, will give us crossover protection against COVID-19. So there are multiple factors, uh, perhaps accounting for our uh, sort of uh, analysis that the young people here should receive uh, just one dose right now as compared to, say, uh, three months ago when we uh, followed uh, the rate report at that time uh, from the state. Do you accept there may be a trust issue here going forward, right? Next time you, we have a new vaccination, whatever it's for, and medical experts say, oh, there, there, there's, no, um, there's no risk, go ahead, and, um, um, go ahead and get your children vaccinated or w- whatever age group, and um, people will think, well, you said that last time, and then you changed your advice a few months later. Oh, no, no. If you look at the, 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 the information we gave out, especially, I think, in one local newspapers in Ming Pao, and he, uh, they actually quoted what I said in June. I said at that time, uh, we have to be aware of the complication of myocarditis, especially for the young people. And then I quoted all the information we could get uh, from overseas and saying that it's a rare complication, but we need to be aware of it. And in fact, uh, we have been uh, sort of through different channels uh, to let our population, especially the young people and their parents, be aware of the complication of myocarditis. And I think because of that alertness in Hong Kong, our community is very highly sort of informed and therefore they would present much early with those complication symptoms, that is chest discomfort palpitation, very early on. And then of course in Hong Kong, you know we have a more or less a universal, nearly free of charge type of healthcare system. So anyone's got some complaint uh, they could be looked after and got access to healthcare system. And there's no doubt those are the factors that I think uh, that we are able to uh, estimate the rate of complication of myocarditis after beyond that much more, much more readily than, than, than the healthcare system, uh, say in, in, in America or perhaps in certain European countries. I think in, 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 in UK, perhaps the, they have got a very good uh, healthcare system, the NHS. And in fact, our healthcare system is really a model after the NHS. Of course, there's a lot of differences as well.
but I'm quite proud uh, because of our healthcare system and nearly free of charge and because of we alerted the whole community way back in June, even before we start, the recommendation beyond heck would be given to 12 to 15. And so that parents and young people are all aware of this complication and therefore we could contribute uh, to the world sort of a knowledge base uh, that we have to really look into this problem a bit more, uh, not seriously, but at least take it more seriously. And therefore, we do not recommend to scrap it. It's still a very good vaccine. Uh, don't take me wrong. Uh, the BioNTech has really done a wonderful job to stop transmission, to prevent deaths, uh, and so on. But mm. in Hong Kong, after you analyze the risk to the young people, as compared to the benefit to the young people, perhaps one dose is enough. But in terms of the contribution of the vaccination program for them to have a full day reopening of school, or is it is undoubtedly very important because without the open uh, the school full day, uh, my goodness, um, our young people are suffering a lot, especially yeah. the, the, the less uh, well-resourced families. Yeah. yeah, you say perhaps one dose is enough. I mean, how confident can we be that uh, a single dose will provide uh, adequate protection? For that individual, it's a really very, very good. Uh, from the phase four study, from sort of the ongoing phase four and beyond hack and so on, the one dose uh, already would be able uh, to have 80% uh, sort of protection against death. Now, look at the absolute number. That is more important than anything else, all right? Because in young people, in Hong Kong, there's no death. So, you know, the 80% versus if you give two doses, then the protection against death for BioNTech, two dose maybe up to 95 or even 100%. But how could you reduce a zero risk further uh, by two dose? It's, it's not possible, you know. So I think we must take uh, into consideration of what we call the relative risk and the absolute risk. For young people, one dose, my goodness, it doesn't really make much difference in terms of individual um, sort of security in terms of protection from serious disease or death. However, in the elderly, oh my God, you really need two doses because, uh, say, gives you the extreme example, like the 80 and above, the, the death rate is 30% if you've got COVID. If you reduce by 80%, that then means that you've still got six deaths. If you reduce to 90%, oh my God, you, you're down right down to 2 or 3%. So that is a, 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 a rather worthwhile absolute reduction of the number of deaths. So uh, we must look at each age group specifically and rather than just uh, use a generalized type of uh, approach in terms of the risk benefit. And that's why in the United Kingdom, the JCVI has been really very, very cautious. Uh, I think just a month ago, they're still not recommending, you know, beyond tech for the 12 to 15 uh, because they're well aware of this risk benefit uh, analysis for that particular individual, that is the young people. But however, they've changed their mind because they take into account of the societal gain, the reopening of the school and, and so on. So the JCVI very reluctantly, under a lot of pressure from many quarters, uh, to relax uh, the 12 to 15 and let them have one jab, not two jabs, because they're still worried. Uh, just like we, after examining our data, and we, I think, uh, collectively, the Joint Scientific Committee has uh, taken a very responsible step. And I think... In terms of the confidence spent in a vaccination program, there will be a short-term dent, there's no doubt about it. But I think in the long term, uh, being open uh, and as well as transparent and have the courage to come out to explain uh, every single details that we understand we share with our community. And that's the way to gain 
confidence in the long term from the community, and and I think that is the best approach. And I am very grateful to members of our committee has this courage to come out because this is a significant major public policy uh, change. But it's all based on uh, analysis, based on data, and those data updated. Mm. Okay. And I, I, I think the community will understand with more explanation from us. OK, well, we also have with us uh, Alex Lam, the chairman of uh, Hong Kong Patients' Voices. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. So where do you stand on this uh, change of advice about uh, vaccination for teenagers? Well, I'm not sure whether it's really a change of advice, as uh, uh, Professor Lau seems to uh, deny what he said <laughs> in, in, in June about the, the safety of the drugs. Uh, well, we, we have high regard to, to Professor Lau and, and his team member in the panel, uh, the, the, the gatekeeper of Hong Kong against uh, COVID-19. But apparently, the, uh, the, just two days ago, we, we are aware that uh, there are 37 cases of teenagers um, uh, with uh, inflammation to the heart um, after the injection of uh, Beyond Tech. Two doses, maybe one. I don't know. Um, that that caused concern because it seems to change that the um, divide um, is followed by um, um, it's it, it, um, here because um, there's some change of uh, policy in, in countries, UK, uh, USA, that uh, they are advising one dose for teenagers. So we are, it seems to follow the the um, um, policy. With 37 cases in Hong Kong, that, that caused a concern because um, without this figure, uh, we, we, we seem to follow um, developed countries the way they, they advise uh, teenagers to receive um, um, uh, injections. But with 37 cases in Hong Kong, I think that's alarming uh, for the panel member uh, to, to consider whether it is safe for, for teenagers to receive injections. Uh, one doses, two doses, uh, we don't know. We, we are not sure whether, even though we are changing from two to one, uh, we're not sure whether one dose is safe enough for, for teenagers uh, by uh, maybe achieving um, 87% of um, uh, uh, protection from the injection. Uh, especially when uh, you see that in the past two months, we see... Apparently, there are no local cases in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is basically a safe place. Um, so the parents will, will consider in this way. Uh, Hong Kong is a safe place. Uh, he or she will be, uh, children will be going to school. Uh, would that be risky to take the injection? Um, because there's no case, local cases in Hong Kong. So uh, what is the, the benefit of, of uh, getting the injection? But there will be a risk of uh, having the uh, inflammation to the heart. So um, uh, I, I think the panel members, uh, especially Professor Lau, will, will, will uh, have duty to <laughs> let us have a better picture of uh, what's going on, uh, because um, he, he, he gives a very good explanation what, of what um, he see uh, professionally or scientifically. Uh, but for parents, uh, the only concern one thing is whether it is safe for, for the children to receive the injection, even one dose, uh, would that be safe enough?
Now, the vaccination rate in Hong Kong had already been slowing in um, for, se for several weeks now, maybe even longer than that. Um, do you think uh, that this U-turn uh, is going to have broader implications outside vaccinations to children? I mean, um, most uh, families already very hesitant to allow their elderly parents to be um, um, vaccinated. I, I know that this specific risk is associated with teenagers, but people will look at it and say, well, there's this risk that's emerged we didn't know about before. Maybe there'll be risks for other age groups as well. Alex Lam? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's the first time that uh, two days ago that the, 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 uh, the committee announced the 37 cases. Uh, but be before that, uh, it seems uh, that we don't have this figure. So I think we need to have a clearer picture as to what had happened to this uh, uh, teenagers. Apparently, some of them are still being hospitalized, and uh, and many of them will, will have to um, have a long-term uh, follow-up or um, uh, uh, medical attention. We don't know. I think that, that uh, information has to be um, be given to to the public for for them to to consider whether it is safe or to bring the children to receive the first uh, beyond tag injection. Okay, I think we should put that, because you raised it now a couple of times, we should put that point back to Professor Lau, uh, the point Alex Lamb making that um, we hadn't heard, heard this figure of the... Um, in terms of vaccination, you've been very transparent about things like deaths and so on, but we hadn't heard anything about this figure of 37 until um, it was announced a couple of days ago, and we still don't know about um, how many of those cases have been hospitalised, and Alex Lamb suggesting some of the cases will require long-term uh, checkups. Um, Professor Lau? Oh, yeah, I think uh, it is um, our duty to explain to the community, and in fact, over the last 24, 48 hours, I've spoken to, I think, at least three radio talk shows, um, maybe a near six or seven newspapers outlets, and even this morning, there are very wide uh, of, uh, reporting of these um, 37 cases. Uh, so basically, they are all very mild. Uh, all of them actually do not need any specific treatment. And for those who so-called ICU mission, it's really for precaution rather than are in any danger. And they stay in hospital no more than five or six days. Uh, range from 3 to 11, and they all went home. And then, uh, in terms of the rate after the first dose versus the second dose, 80%, about 80%, actually occur after the second dose. And therefore, by recommending only one dose, you already would uh, prevent 80% of the quote-unquote myocarditis after beyond that. And that's uh, the basis, the major basis of recommending one dose. That is uh, to reduce 80% of the occurrence of the myocarditis in how about Alex uh, Slam's point? He said that uh, uh, some some of these cases will have to have uh, long-term checkups, oh, uh, even they've been released be, from. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because heart is a very major organ, and that is also recommended in the United States that even if they do not have any uh, symptoms uh, after recovery, uh, they are recommended to have a long-term follow-up, and that is what our intent. Uh, as well. So now there's a special uh, follow-up clinic set up under the HA system in the children's hospital offer to all these children who had a diagnosis of myocarditis, pericarditis after beyond pack. And they will be looked after by the cardiologists, the pediatric cardiologists and the pediatric immunologists. It's not that because they have severe organ dysfunction, like the heart dysfunction, not at all. All of them recover 100% in terms of all the parameters that we can really put on. This is because this is a new disease, it's a new vaccine, so the recommendation all over the world, if such young people have myocarditis or even young adults, they should be followed up 
for a sustained period of time just to make sure uh, we will have the data, say, two years down the road, in fact, they are 100% healthy, no problem. And that would restore uh, confidence in the BioNTech despite uh, this, uh, quote-unquote, uh, rare uh, complication. But although it's rare in a general population, but if you look at a high-risk group, if you just look at the 12 to 15 males, uh, is uh, relatively rare, but it's not extremely rare. And so I think uh, the committee has taken all that into account and make that decision. But when you make that decision, obviously, it's uh, not easy. And it's a, a, oh, my God, we, we actually met, uh, of course, this is one of the agenda items. So I think it's near or over four hours. So we look at all the data. We put a couple of, sort of, uh, quote, unquote, the modifications on table. And finally, we think uh, recommending one dose is the most responsible way um, forward. And I could assure you, at uh, these 37 cases, not that we put it in the closet and not letting the community know. In fact, if you look through the newspapers, uh, every other few days, there will be report another two, another three, another four. Uh, so obviously, uh, we will uh, be very alerted to this and uh, we make a very conscious decision. We should gather all this information. And I have to thank uh, Dr. Mike Guan and team, uh, who's with uh, a lot of help from pediatricians uh, to set up this centralized platform. So every time a youngster admitted with chest symptoms at the NHA hospital, it will be alerted. And then with HA headquarters support, we have a totally centralized platform for documentation, for looking after these children, adolescents, and their subsequent follow-up. That's why in the pediatric age group, we've got very accurate data, very up-to-date data. That 37 is up to this uh, just last Monday, just four days ago. So okay. I only knew about these 37 cases detailed um, just before the JSC meeting. Of course, I, I've been alerted uh, every time when there's a case, and that's why I've been extremely pushy. Uh, if you look at all my interviews in the last few weeks, I've been pushing and pushing and pushing uh, for relaxation and uh, for using uh, the other vaccine mm. uh, as a choice uh, for the adolescents uh, as well. So that is Professor, another problem. Okay. Yeah. Professor uh, yeah. can, can you tell me among the uh, 37 cases, how many of them uh, um, got the, um, the information about after one dose? Can you give oh, me the figure? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, out of the 37 cases, only seven cases got it after the first dose. And six of that are in boys, only one in females. So in terms of... Oh, sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. I mean, you, you, you're talking continuously about uh, young boys. This is the first time I'm hearing that uh, there were also girls who were affected. Can you say a little yes, bit more yes, about yes. that, please? It's not exclusively... Yeah. Um, um, uh, boys, it all is yeah. also affecting some some yeah, some yeah. girls. Um, I'll give you the number. Boys are thirty-two, uh, girls are five out of that thirty-seven cases. So again, it's eighty, uh, perhaps eighty to twenty percent. Uh, but then the recommendation will look after the girls as well because the girls are also recommended to have one dose rather than uh, two doses. So, so you're saying that um, even uh, uh, teenagers receive one dose, they will still get the information of heart. Uh, yeah, but the number is extremely low because uh, compared to after those two, you have 30 cases. Uh, after the first dose, uh, you know, um, there will be seven cases. So I think it's all about the risk-benefit ratio because if you've got one dose, uh, then you have, quote-unquote, uh, that seven cases uh, since the beginning, uh, whatever the offering, the beyond tag. Uh, however, what you manage to trade uh, will be the protection from the first dose because if you don't have that vaccine, 
you aren't going to reopen the school. Uh, we aren't going to lift all the quarantine. We aren't going uh, to have uh, trade and holidays and all the rest of it. So we have to prepare the whole community. And obviously, if you do not like that one dose risk, then wait for uh, the other vaccine to be uh, sort of approved. And that's why I always think there should be a two prongs. Uh, first, how to optimize the use of that one vaccine, and then let the community know about the, the pluses and the minuses of the both vaccines, then let them choose. Professor Lau, we don't have any data on the use of Sinovac in teenagers. We've, until you start vaccinating uh, teenagers with Sinovac, we, we have no idea whether they're, they're, there might be some reaction to that okay. as well. So the JFC also reviewed uh, the experience of uh, using uh, the Coronavac uh, worldwide. And in fact, uh, up to sort of a couple of days ago, uh, in three countries, it's been widely used already. And the total number of doses given uh, is, uh, wow, my God, it's over 60 million. I don't know whether it's close to 70 million doses. And so far, uh, we have actually examined the safety data submitted by the company. And I think there's another company going to look at that. And uh, in terms of myocarditis, there are no more than two. So there is, this is no different from the background. So in terms of myocarditis, um, I don't think um, so that is one of the recognized uh, side effects uh, of coronavirus. And co uh, coronavirus is a very old platform. It's like the flu vaccine is inactivated. Mm. Uh, so we know the side effects reasonably well for decades. And of course, it's not as what we call as effective or efficacious uh, as compared to beyond tax. So I think uh, we must understand the two vaccines characteristics and use the two vaccines to the best, optimize how we use them. And we should not think of the third or fourth vaccine. Uh, I, I have to really uh, call out, we shouldn't really go into the third dose uh, eat sort of, uh, too readily because in many countries, the middle low income country, they're still waiting for the first dose and second okay. dose. Okay. So for okay. Hong Kong, we, we, we should not yeah. uh, even talk about and think about that sure. uh, until we sort Okay, Professor Lau, thank you very much. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, we've got to take a short break for the news summary. Um, uh, stay with us. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Quick look at the weather. Sunny periods, a few showers, very hot during the day. The outlook, hot with sunny periods, uh, isolated showers in the next couple of days. It's currently 28 degrees, 78% humidity. The very hot weather warning is in effect. <laughs> Georgieva, who is now the managing director of the International Monetary Fund, said she fundamentally disagreed with the findings. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome back to Backchat uh, with Danny Gittings and me, Jim Gould. And this morning for our main topic, we're talking about uh, vaccinations for teenagers. And uh, later on, we'll be having a look at uh, Sunday's elections for the election committee uh, subsectors. Um, a few messages here from listeners. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, Alex Lam, uh, uh, the chairman of Hong Kong Patients Voices, uh, was only with us till nine o'clock. But uh, this one from Phil says, it seems Alex may be anti-vaccine. Zero COVID is not sustainable. And to get back to normal, it is everybody's duty to get vaccinated. I wonder if Alex is vaccinated. Um, like I say, um, he's not here with us now, but we'll ask him next time. He's a regular, he's, you know, he's a regular guest on Backchat. Um, 
Dan writes on our Facebook, uh, three critical questions. Uh, one, why are we proposing to vaccinate children who tend not to get or spread the disease and if they do get it are almost always asymptomatic and rarely in need of hospitalisation? Two, why are we proposing to vaccinate children at all when uh, we do not know what the long-term effects might be? Three, why are we proposing only one jab of vaccine when other authorities outside Hong Kong may require two, thus limiting Hong Kong teens' ability to travel. And uh, Paul writes, uh, as there are no deaths with children in Hong Kong, then surely zero doses should be sufficient. Um, how about that, uh, Professor Lau? Why are we vaccinating children at all? Oh, right, OK. So that is a forever sort of argument, at really looking at the sort of individual gain, the societal gain, at the multiple levels. Of course, in Hong Kong, we have uh, really enjoyed the so-called zero-COVID policy, so we do not feel the imminent threat. We do not see children dying or children in ICU because uh, up till now, we've got just uh, 1,200 cases. But however, in America and Europe, uh, there are many children who got very sick because there's a large number of children got infected. Um, and of course, some die and some with very serious complications. So that is point number one. Uh, we actually enjoy a very, very vigorous civil COVID policy. Therefore, we do not feel the threat. But that civil COVID policy cannot be forever. And one day we have to lift the border, control the quarantine. And if that time, if the children are not vaccinated, then you have outbreak. And that's exactly what happened in mainland China for the primary school children in Fujian because they are not vaccinated. So they've got school outbreak. And if you make a quick calculation if that actually spread through the whole country and the number of, uh, say, primary school children, then you'll get a figures that will reflect what's actually going on in a sort of four times or five times that in America, that children will get infected, admitted to ICU and died. So there are two levels. First, at the moment, we, of course, there's no urgent need for the children to get vaccination, but we need to have a stepwise approach so the children will be protected one day when the border control is lifted. Yes, but, but that's not going to happen anytime soon, is it? Uh, uh, maybe by the time it happens... Not, no, then... I'm, I'm not the, the authority uh, to uh, say when uh, will be the appropriate time, so I think uh, you could ask other sort of authority to answer that. Now, we come to the uh, second uh, question. Uh, we do not know the long-term uh, effect. OK, so we must understand this is a new pandemic. No one knows about it until sort of, uh, a couple of years ago, less than a couple of years ago. And we don't have any vaccine uh, available until just the end of last year. So everything is new. So I think that the community or the citizens need to understand uh, from no knowledge to some knowledge to have more knowledge and secure knowledge, there's a process, there's a time. It needs time. So I think <clears throat> that we need and our duty to explain to the community this is uh, everything is new. So we must understand this is a vaccine, is uh, what we call proof under emergency and therefore, this vaccine is under extreme scrutiny. There will be multiple levels of surveillance. I've already mentioned about the surveillance uh, from CDHA headquarters on the observed over expected uh, ratio, and that has been widely reported in the local press in the last few days because of our GSC and software recommendation. So we are all learning together as a whole community because we think it's worth vaccinating our community so that we reach a certain level and we think that by that time when the level is achieved then we can safely lift the border 
control and resume some kind of normalcy of life. And that is the major goal uh, in terms of societal goal. But for each individual, we must tailor and make sure they pay the least risk. And in this case, uh, for the young teenagers, especially boys, perhaps girls as well, the 12 to 15, I urge 12 to 15, but of course 16 to 19 is also at risk. And we must tailor... Sorry, can you, can you follow up? I'm because you, you just said that as, a, as an uh, after um, mention. You said 12 to 15, but then did you say 15 to 19 is also at risk? Yeah, because the whole policy is uh, 12 to 17. I'm just quoting the HA headquarters uh, sort of OE ratio. Because 12 to 17. 12 to 17. 12 yeah, to, yeah, so from yeah. 18 years old, there's no, no need to worry. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, not no need to worry. The, the risk uh, no of getting the values drop very, very rapidly. So I think um, life is not like black and white. It, there's always a kind of a tailing off and then going up again. So I think for the community not to get confused, we stick to... Uh, say 12 to 17, one jab. And that is the long-term issues. And of course, uh, with more knowledge accrue, we uh, fine-tune, tailor-made our sort of uh, policy. Decision-making is being responsible uh, rather than ducking under the issues and sweep under the carpet. I don't think that is a responsible act. And I'm very proud of the JSC members to come up because uh, we, we understand once we have this recommendation, we will be scrutinized and interrogated or whatever. Uh, of inside out, and I'm quite prepared to do that on behalf of the whole JSC. This is a collective decision. Now, coming back to one jab versus two jabs, um, of course, uh, we understand if young people are going to travel to study in, say, in, I don't know, University of Texas or, I don't know, somewhere in America where you've got lots of um, COVID and you're worried, then obviously I've already um, talked to government departments and so on that path. We have to be flexible. And after counselling, proper process of counselling, if the families and the young adolescents still prefer two jabs, so be it. So there must be a degree of flexibility. So the community, uh, with that knowledge of understanding that they, they still prefer the second dose, so be it. All right. So, uh, but, but that is not for me to say, yes, go ahead. Uh, this is my advice uh, to the government. And the JSC is only advisory body after all. Okay. Now, well, uh, yeah. Okay. Because the fourth question is, uh, since Hong Kong has got zero COVID, then zero mm. dose is the recommendation. I think that is, yes, you can do that, because I have a lot of public health talk. And there's a question uh, from someone who is in actuarial science, I think he's a financial advisor to some big companies, and he said he made all the calculations, he should not get the vaccination until that one fine day when the border is being open, and then he could make the calculation, because he's so good in calculating and I think getting vaccination is the kind of a responsibility of a citizen uh, rather than calculating right down to the individual risk benefit. But of course, uh, as advisory body, we should really take both the individual as well as the society gain in a more holistic manner. I, I, I hope I have answered the four questions. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, very well. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so, of course, this requirement now for teenagers to have just one covid jab is going to make a lot of difference to schools in terms of whether they can uh, open for full day schooling um, we have on the line with us uh, tang fei who's the principal of hung to secondary school in chengkwano uh, good morning to you uh, good morning thanks for joining us so, so what's the situation at your school in terms of uh, vaccine coverage and uh, part half time uh, full day schooling uh, uh, yeah. Uh, our school, the Form 6 students, uh, uh, more than 70% uh, of the Form 6 students to take the vaccinated. 
so the requirement of the face-to-face uh, class arrangement is is meted. Uh, but uh, the Form Four and Form Five, uh, such as Form Four, Form Five students, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, nearly uh, sixty more more than sixty, but not to seventy uh, percentage. Uh, but but, the, but now the new guidelines from the EDB about the the vaccination uh, is uh, maybe more convenient for the parents of the senior form students to take uh, the vaccinated net vaccinations, but the junior form parents maybe not. So form four and form five, after the new guidance, do you think you'll be able to resume form four and form five classes also? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. yeah. Parents, since the parents of the senior forms students are more concerned, more concerned with the DSE examination preparation than the so-called side effect of the vaccination. But the junior forms parents may be more concerned with the side effects of the vaccination. And how do the students and parents feel about resuming full-day schooling? a little bit more convenience to to make such a decision to take the vaccination <coughs> nothing more but you've had a long time students have had a long time now only with morning schooling many yeah, many yeah, students yeah. have uh, become 16, used to it more used than 16 to. months <laughs> and so i i understand in the senior forms of course students are worried about examinations yeah. but uh, in the junior forms maybe um, some students prefer this <laughs> yeah of course uh, when this, as, uh, I, as I know, the, some uh, junior form students, when, when, when they know, oh, uh, if I take the vaccination, maybe uh, uh, we, will, we have to go to school in the whole day. No, no oh, okay, fine. I, I, don't, I don't want to take it. So then maybe it's going to be quite difficult to resume school, yeah, yeah, uh, schooling yeah, in the junior forms. But I imagine the parents would be pushing in all forms. The parents would like to have full-day schooling, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, but... Um, uh, you think it's it's maybe so we well maybe your school and other schools will be similar in Hong Kong. We will be a, see a big divide between the senior forms, maybe more and more resuming face to face, and the junior forms still staying half day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and uh, that will be the maybe almost the long term pattern. Maybe the long term pattern until the next <laughs> next chief executive says election. <laughs> Just I I I, I suppose. Okay, um, uh, Professor Lau, how about that? We're gonna, we may, may see this sort of divided p- picture emerging in local schooling as a result of the vaccination policy. Um, I don't quite agree. Um, what happened is this is uh, what we call a transient phenomenon. Um, because for the schools, I have um, sort of connection with the several school principals, including uh, Mr. Deng Fai, but also Father Davis uh, Chen of Wyan, in fact. Uh, with this relaxation of one jab is equivalent to, quote-unquote, being qualified uh, of a full vaccination for the school opening uh, sort of a condition, um, uh, you know, Wyan already be able to move ahead uh, to prepare for reopening of the school. Because some got first jab, they need to wait for the second jab. So what it means, it push the whole agenda three weeks uh, sort of ahead. And so I think that policy change and with the endorsement of the EDB just yesterday, because I've been in touch with both EDB and FHB and they really very responsive. Within 24 hours, the EDB already issued uh, the directive to all schools saying uh, for those uh, sort of uh, 
12 to 17, one jab is equivalent to, quote-unquote, a vaccination requirement for the school reopening. So I think that's a positive effect for the reopening of the school. And several principals said they welcome that. Uh, in terms of reaching that 70% for uh, the school reopening. And once uh, the high forms uh, actually reopen, then the lower forms, uh, I think, the, as you said, the parents were very, very uh, sort, of, uh, sort of willing to get all the children uh, to go back to full-day school because it really drained their energy and, and so on. And even for the school administration, I think it is to their advantage to have the whole school following the one pattern if you've got one school and some are food, some forms are food, food day, some forms are half day, in terms of administration, it, it not, will not be a nightmare, but it really demands a lot more uh, resources. And of course, for children, they do not prefer going full day, only half day, then I think the schools would really need to examine uh, whether they have the need uh, to look at the school curriculum, the activities, and so on, and make the school uh, a happy learning um, sort of uh, environment uh, for the children because children in the school they not only learn through the classroom they learn through the, the kind of interactions among the peers they learn together in sports events and music events and all the extracurricular so we, we should not assume schooling means classroom teaching yeah, it should be really preparing the young people for this forever changing world uh, in all dimensions of learning so I, I think we should take a very uh, sort of open-minded uh, sort of a view of how reopening of the school is not because it uh, makes the parents uh, less sort of, uh, you know, demanding for them. It's not because, you know, uh, you know the children's... Yeah, uh, Mr. Tang Fai is correct because I, I thank quite every single of my... I'm still doing outpatient clinic, so some children say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I enjoy the half-day school. But then the prize is they get fed, uh, they got emotionally disturbed, they lose their societal skills. They do not even need uh, to talk to people, uh, sort of, and so on. Uh, it, it's a huge problem, and I think it's uh, yeah. every citizen's yeah. uh, sort of um, responsibility to make sure yeah. Yeah. not only secondary schools in due course, the primary school should resume uh, full day uh, reopening. And I hope that would occur uh, late on end of this year or beginning of next year. So I think it's the whole society's responsibility, and we must work towards that. Mr. Tang, has that been your observation about uh, the inability to go to school having that effect on students? Uh, I, I think uh, the problem is not in school authorities. Most of the school authorities are ready to resume the normal schooling and face-to-face uh, -face class arrangements. The decision depends on parents rather than school authorities. So. Uh, uh, giving one more choice to parents to, 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 to take the vaccinations, just one more choice. It, it's, <coughs> it is not necessary for parents to take this vaccination. So it, it's only one choice. I, I was wondering, um, do you agree with um, what um, Professor Lau was saying about the effects of, um, of half-day schooling, that it's, it's detrimental to children's development? Yes, I totally agree. But I mean, the, the half-day schooling, we call it half-day schooling, but they, because the school continues until one fifteen, they're only losing, what, maybe an hour, an hour and a half of schooling a day. It's really like three-quarters day schooling, isn't it? Yes, yes, they lose a lot of things, including uh, uh, learning activities and uh, extra-curriculum activities. Well, uh, lots of things lose. 
but you, they still have. I mean, they still have um, maybe two thirds or three quarters of their lesson. So they're, yeah. getting, they're getting most of it, right? Yeah. So is the damage really so severe? Yeah. Is the damage so big when they uh, is only a partial reduction in their how much time they're in school? They're still... uh, I, I'm not sure what, what, how much time. Yeah, but is it, do you really think it ha the difference between um, morning schooling, part, morning schooling which goes all the way through until after one o'clock, the difference between that and full day schooling is that difference really so big? The, the difference, of course, is very big because the uh, half day school, the, only one, only one thing in half day school to do is just learning in the classroom, nothing more. All extracurriculum uh, activities cannot be taken in, uh, on campus uh, based on the, uh, the EDB's guidelines. Okay. Okay. A uh, quick question from listener Phil says, uh, "Can you please ask if the time between first and second dose, sorry, if the time between first and second dose was extended, would it be better, um, Professor Lau? I mean, well, we're talking we're talking to the general uh, population now, obviously, sir." Professor Lau, we have to draw this to close, but I just want to ask you one question yes, quickly please, before yes. we finish. I think be in a lot of parents' minds. Um, children who received the vaccination some time ago and did not have any side effect, is there any danger of myocarditis emerging after some months after the vaccinations? Not at all. Categorically, okay. no. So please be rest assured. 90% um, of the myocarditis will occur within five to seven days, and then that rest of the 10% will be the next month or so. So, so after, one month month, you, month, after one month, yeah. you have absolutely no reason to worry. No, 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 no. Just uh, enjoy life. You are protected <laughs> by the best vaccine. 
so far in terms of neutralizing anybody. Okay, so I think that's congratulate a good, yourself, yeah, I think that's a good note to end Excellent. on. Excellent. Thank you very much uh, for joining thank us you, this Dan. morning. Thank, um, you, thank you, Professor Lau Yu Lung there, who's a chair professor of paediatrics at the Department of Paediatrics and Adolescent Medicine at the University of Hong Kong, also chairman of the Scientific Committee on Vaccine Preventable Disease. Um, thank you to Tang Fei, who's principal of Hung Tso Secondary School in Cheung Kwan And before nine o'clock, uh, to Alex Lam, chairman of Hong Kong Patients' Voices. And so for the remaining part of this morning's programme, we're going to look ahead uh, to... Uh, Sunday's subsector elections for the election committee, which will choose the next chief executive, as well as filling uh, 40 seats in the next legislative council. It's the first um, such uh, election since the central government um, uh, overhauled the system of voting here. Um, uh, with the intention of ensuring that only those regarded as patriots could be in positions of authority. Um, we're now joined on the line by Chung Kim Wah, a political commentator. Good morning to you. Good morning. So these elections are going to be rather different from what's gone before. Yes, of course. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an overhaul of the system. But uh, I have to say honestly that I don't I don't believe that this is a true reduction because you know that uh, we have election in Hong Kong since the eighties and, and we enjoy a quite fair and well administered well administered election process in the past two decades. And up to this moment, uh, the election process is not fair, it's not open, only a few people, you know, just uh, less than ten thousand people uh, is eligible to cast the rule on the election committee who is going to which is going to to cast their vote to to give our C E and and election member. So uh, this is uh, totally unfair and a lot of people has Hong Kong have lost the uh, representative in the electrical and they have lost their voices in the C E election. So I don't think this is uh, going to be uh legitimate election for most people in Hong Kong. But uh, Chung Kim Wah, the election committee was never a universal franchise election. It was always, even before the election committee was always called a small circle election, the, the only change here is it's become even smaller. You've gone from yes, a course, small right. circle to you, even you know smaller that, circle. last time, uh, last round election, we have more than 200,000 people to, to elect the members for the election committees. More than more than 200,000. But now we only have, you know, that uh, uh, after registration, only only less than 8,000 8, voters will be, will be show up, uh, will, will show up uh, on this Sunday. Uh, so uh, the circle have been even, even, even smaller than before. This is on one hand. And on the other hand, we know that uh, those who are eligible to cast their votes are some unknown organizations. Hong Kong people. We don't know where they come from. We don't know who who are behind this organization. And we know that uh, it's a common strategy for the Communist Party uh, in China to have a lot of different blending of organizations. But behind this uh, organization, they are the same group of people. They are the same group of people. And after this moment, quite a lot of journalists and, 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 and a reporter had tried to locate uh, people behind this organization. And you know that uh, quite a lot of them are unwilling to, to talk to the class. They are not even visible to the public, who they are, where they come from, who are they representing, where and where uh, their organization have been registered in Hong Kong. So I think uh, uh, with voters are known, 
uh, not representing, uh, how can we trust the election committee is going to come out with a result that is representative enough to Hong Kong people for our election of CE and for some major, major promotion of electrical member in the future. But th- th- this exercise is all about uh, ensuring that people regarded as uh, patriots uh, are um, um, take up uh, the positions. I mean, isn't that just to be expected after what happened in 2019 with the with the the, the chaos and the civil unrest? I, I think in 2019, the, the unrest and the conversation between Hong Kong people and the government uh, is first aroused by the government, and it also reflects the inadequacy of our system. So the right direction to improve the situation is to make the government more representing and to make the government more accountable to Hong Kong people. But now, uh, the changes on the other other round is going to make the government even less representative and even less accountable to the public. How can you believe that a government coming from that direction, uh, which is not as accountable, not as representative before, can can improve the situation in Hong Kong. And when people are not able to elect their representative uh, or take a, take a role in the uh, election, I, I don't think the government could pick up the legitimacy and uh, legal credibility for it to exercise power in the future. So this is quite worrying for, for me. Um, I, I don't think the, the, the reason thing that uh, is to ensure that patriotic can take a position. Uh, I think most people in Hong Kong are patriotic, but what the authority in Beijing meant for patriotic is loyalty to the CCP, but not patriotic to the country and to the society we allow living in. Mm. What did you think of what we saw last weekend when a lot of senior people involved in the election committee were, were out on the street um, engaging with the public? they are trying to engage are not quite sensitive about what they are doing. Uh, it seems that uh, it's not none of the business of most people in Hong Kong. So when they come out, I think it's uh, organized uh, by by the national office uh, in Hong Kong. But uh, the process is not able to justify the overhaul to our political system and the election process. Uh, most people are not uh, just that they not care who they are and what they are doing because uh, we all understand quite well that the election is no longer a real election. It's just a ritual to 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 make sure that uh, those who are loyal and approved by the CCP is going to pick up offices in Hong Kong. Okay. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on what happens on Sunday, and we'll be, be talking show, right? about it. Will be it will be Monday morning's uh, topic. Yes, uh, main topic for the program. So, um, bringing this morning's program to a close. Um, thank you very much to our listeners and to all our guests. Uh, thank you there to Chung Kim Wah, political commentator. Um, thanks very much to you, Danny. Uh, you won't be here next Friday, will you? Uh, not for a bit, at least, Jim. Uh, I've been doing back chat for a long time, and I'm going to take a break at least for a few bobs. So, okay. thank you to RTHK for. Give me the opportunity and, of course, the listeners are back, Chad. Well-deserved break. OK, um, before we go to news summary and morning brew, a quick look at the weather. Um, sunny periods with a few showers, uh, very hot during the day. Top temperature will be around uh, 33 degrees, isolated thunderstorms in the afternoon, light winds. The outlook, hot with sunny periods and isolated showers in the next couple of days. Currently it's 29 degrees, humidity 77%. 
the very hot weather warning is in effect. The elderly are at high risk of life-threatening conditions from COVID-19. The virus can damage one's heart, lungs and brain. It may cause multiple organ failure that requires intubation in an ICU. After effects can hamper a recovery. Vaccines reduce risks of serious illness, hospitalization and death. Experts advise that any elderly person who has had a flu shot can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Get vaccinated early. Now the new summary with Todd Harding. The European Union's foreign policy chief, Joseph Borrell, has expressed the bloc's displeasure at not being consulted over a new nuclear security deal announced between the US, Australia and Britain. An independent investigation has concluded that former senior leaders at the World Bank encouraged staff to alter a report to boost China's ranking as a business-friendly country. And the UN Secretary-General has said November's climate summit in Glasgow must be the turning point in humanity's fight to limit global warming. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. Good morning to you and welcome to Friday. Yay, we made it here on The Morning Brew. Uh, with me, Phil Whelan, through until one o'clock, as we always do. Today, and by the magic of radio, we're going to whiz over to San Francisco after ten o'clock and catch up with our mate, Chef Matt Dolan, live from his restaurant, 25 Lusk. He's got a few things he wants to talk about today. Um, undoubtedly not much to do with food, but it's always great to catch up with Matt. Danny Hicks will be with us at... 10 past 11 today. For this week's sports and all, the most definitely on his list will be one of the greatest escapes in motor racing history. If you know, you know. After 12, it's Marshy movie time. Crack hack James Marsh brings you the best and worst of the week in cinema. We've got Dune. With massively divided opinions on that one. Annette Kate and Escape from Mogadishu. So do join Danny and Marshy on Facebook Live if you can with your comments and questions. This is Super State and I don't want to wait for you here on Radio 3. <laughs> 